The views and opinions expressed on Smack My Pitch Up are those of the panelists and not those of GUI Network, their sponsors, or any of the properties mentioned. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is rated R for violence, language, and nudity. Well, it's a podcast, so you won't see the nudity. I just do it to make the guest uncomfortable. In a world gone mad with unnecessary reboots, remakes, and sequels, only one podcast has the guts to make even worse. This is Smack My Pitch Up. And welcome to another amazing episode of Smack My Pitch Up, the podcast that reboots, remakes, reimagines sequels, cycles, and adapts some of your favorite and least favorite properties from TV and film and what have you. And tonight, <laughs> we are talking about the, in my personal opinion, single greatest bank heist movie of all time. It's definitely up there, bro. If it's not the top, it's at least in the top three in conversation about the best bank heist movie. It has to be. Yeah. There's, there's so many. That, that's got to be its own genre at this point, I think, the Bank Heist movie. But this film, there's so much fun backstory on how it developed and how it got to where it was. And it's also directed by one of the most deft directors of, oh, yeah. of the time. And I am very interested to see exactly how you and I decide to ruin it. <laughs> with, with, with our choices of new directors and uh, actors on this episode. Uh, tonight with me to help me explore what is Heat from Michael Mann from 1995. Yes. I've got the Groots from Beautiful Disasters. It's great to be back. I'm excited to have you on because uh, a little backstory here. My first experience with you and Heat. Now, I had seen Heat before this moment. But right. The first time that you moved into a new place since we became friends yes a million years ago uh there's there's a thing you use heat for i do yes uh when i calibrate my home theater uh to get all the uh you know 5.1 speaker settings right i do play the uh bank robbery shootout scene at an incredibly high volume to make sure that i have my levels correct and i've been doing that for many many years now it's it is my tradition and it works because it is a wonderfully shot scene but it also the sound design is amazing and like the echoes and everything going through like your entire home theater that's what i do and i'm hoping that some of our listeners might get insight when they're setting up their 5.1 systems or 7.1 now right exactly yeah yeah it's gotten crazy, man. It's Maybe there's wild. 15. Yeah. Who knows? knows? <laughs> but uh, Heat is definitely a good choice for a tester when you get all your stuff set up. It'll still sound good on a sound bar. Don't you worry. But the best, the best part of that scene is it's one of the best bank robbery scenes and shootouts that I've ever seen on film. But it's only halfway through, like maybe a little more than halfway through the actual movie. Well, the film is an epic, an epic crime saga sort of situation but it's it's clocking 
just short of three hours. Yes, it's a long ass movie. <laughs> it's a long it, it really movie. is. But that particular sequence was um influenced or uh inspired by, I should say. Uh there was a very public uh, Bank of America robbery in California that happened a couple years prior that was just this crazy-ass situation where these guys in full body armor and automatic weapons went up against the cops. They even made, like, I want to say, like, a TV movie about it. There's a documentary about it. And that was kind of the genesis for that particular sequence because it is so off the rails and something like that actually happened. And that's kind of what makes this movie work so well is that Michael Mann really looked at bank heists and thievery. And there was a conversation that happened between a cop and a robber in Chicago. That was kind of the basis for the classic. Everyone knows that loves this movie knows the scene of the diner scene. Yes. Based on an actual like, of course, it was changed for the movie, but it was based right. on an actual kind of interaction that happened in life. Yeah, that was back in the, I, I think it was the 60s. Something like that. It happened in the 60s, and it was a, you know, it was a, a, a famous bank robber and a detective, and they kind of met, and, you know, there was nothing to, like, arrest the guy right there. But, you know, I think there was a book written about it. You know. And that scene itself is, and hopefully anybody that's listening to this episode has seen Heat. If you have not seen Heat, definitely take the time. I would say that there's a uh, very famous streaming site that I was able to find the full-length movie on uh, with no problem. There you go. <laughs> so I would say give yourself a chance to watch Heat before watching this or listening to this episode because it is not only a near and dear movie to my heart, but it's not, even if you're not a fan of action films, there's action moments in it, but it's more of a drama than it is an action film. Absolutely. Even though there's some of the best action in a bank heist movie that I've ever seen, most of it is dialogue. It's very dialogue driven. Yes. Yes. We, we all know, uh, Michael Mann can bring the action masterfully when, you know, when he needs to, and, and he has, multiple movies check out his whole freaking like catalog he's got a lot of stuff going on but yes no ab- this movie thrives on the dialogue the you know the interpersonal connection between these characters and man we are going to talk about a shitload of characters and character actors that were in the original and yeah yeah that's it's a lot the hardest part about recasting this is that there were some actors in the original that were definitely those actors for those parts and to recast them are very difficult like tom sizemore in this role he is one of the bank robber guys and he has a number of scenes but he's not one of the major major characters but he's so tom sizemore in those roles but he's also so fleshed out in this movie he is. You know, he has a wife. He has a family. And so many characters, this is why this movie's three hours long, is, is so many characters are in it, and they're, they're so well portrayed. We could have legitimately, you know, if we spent the time, we could have done an hour and a half episode on this, just going sure. through the entire, yep. like, cast of note. So I love there was a comedian, and it, I want to say it was... Uh... 
the hot pocket guy that <laughs> talked about watching a movie years after other people had where nobody wants to have the conversation anymore. Like, Oh my God, guys, have you seen heat? And everyone's like, yeah. Like, can we talk about it? No. Like we talked about it 10 years ago. Why are you now talking about heat? Everyone's in this fucking movie. Everyone, everyone like the casting list. And that's the thing is that the majority of these actors, there are some very well, incredibly well-known actors in this, but also there are actors that went on to be bigger actors after they were in it. Like Natalie Portman yeah. is the daughter in this movie. Yeah, this was early on. This was not far after Leon. Yeah, so she she was a known quantity, but she was still not as exactly. we know her today. But even more minor characters like Danny Trejo has a role in this movie. Danny and Trejo, Hank Azaria is Hank in Azaria, it. Henry Rollins, Henry Rollins, one of his earlier screen credits. I mean, yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah, there's movie. so much going on. So this is a basically impossible maneuver for us to try to find a way to. We're not improving this. Let's just right out of oh, no. out of the gate. No, we're dude. just talking about if we were to uh, adapt or reimagine a reboot or what have you. This movie in a modern parlance, or at least with, with current actors or exactly. what have you, what, what would it look like? This is one right. of those episodes that are definitely a, uh, just a, a play, a fan casting. It's right. not, not actually wanting it to be anything other than just, just go watch heat. It's going to be better than whatever we put on paper. Exactly. Here. Now I did actually, uh, we were talking about this earlier about the fact that, uh, this was originally inspired, uh, as a failed TV series pilot. Correct. That Michael Mann put together. Yes. And this was, uh, it was called LA Takedown from 1989. So mm -hmm. six years prior. And let me guess you have that TV movie. I don't yet. Okay. But I did source it today. Okay. And add it to a wish list. Okay. So I, ne I need to watch that with you. Oh, we're going to watch that. Okay. But uh, yeah, it had uh, Michael Rooker. Um, Daniel Baldwin and Xander Berkeley. Wow. <laughs> okay. Good. Uh, good character actors. You know. Yeah. I mean, you know. And I haven't seen it, but I want to. I'm very intrigued because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of notes that happen in the Heat movie, but there's a lot of stuff right. that was part of the storyline that would have happened in that series that didn't get to happen that got included in Heat, and that's why you get a near three-hour movie. Well, whatever happened is pure magic because six years later, he had some of the biggest names in cinema in this movie and turned out a masterpiece. Absolute masterpiece. And uh, so let's get over how we're going to ruin that with our All right. <laughs> plot changes that we're doing. For our, now, for those unfamiliar with how we do this on Smack My Pitch Up, we have a real take, our kind of approach to how we would do it if we we're in charge and we're doing something against our will at this point. You know, if there was a gun to our head and we had to remake heat in some way, shape or form, this is what we think would be the best version of it. And uh, then we have a remix that we'll be doing after that. Right. Where it's basically not giving any kind of respect to the original source material and just getting buck wild with it. So exactly. So the, story arc the the plot the tone what are you changing anything about that in the uh, in your real take uh i definitely am um i'm changing the time period okay but it's super appropriate 
Okay. I'm going to make it a Western. Really? Yes. Okay. Because, I mean, come on. This is about bank robbers and cops going after them. So it's bank robbers and U.S. Marshals or, you know, it's it it seems so appropriate. And you let me know when it we get into d- no, the director. No, it, it, but, it, it absolutely does. And I uh, definitely understood those notes of this film yes. when it comes to Westerns. My real take does not have it set in a Western tone. That's okay. But I definitely saw that parallel between the two right. with uh, maybe my other choice, possibly. So <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that on the second half. But uh, so, so you're going Western tone? like Yes. For Westerns, that's more like post-Civil War, pre-industrialization, like yes. pre, uh, pre-World War I kind of era, like late 1800s. So specifically, I'm going with the late Western period, um, I'm, I, my first thought was the Wild Bunch. Okay. Okay. So it's late 1890s, almost turn of the century. Um, so there's a little bit more modern firearms and shit's a little crazy. Okay. It's been, it's been a couple decades since the Civil War. I hate you so much. <laughs> no, we're definitely stepping on each other a little bit, but look, please continue. Oh, I, I feel like we're going to step all over <laughs> okay. each other's dicks. Okay. But uh, no, this, um, I definitely wanted to do like, yeah, Wild Bunch era, gritty Western drama directed by Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. Okay. Yes. Okay. I mean, obviously, we all know Unforgiven. But he also has chops in action and and um and like war style movies. Like he did that. Sure. He did those um letters from Iwo Jima and Flags of Our Fathers, uh, movies. He I can, think it was letters from Iwo Jima, which was his. It was I both. Believe. He did. He did both. He did both. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It was. It was like a. It was like a back to back duo movie. I just recently rewatched uh, Letters from Iwo Jima and uh. Or no, Flags from Our Fathers. I meant to watch Letters from Iwo Jima because I yeah. wanted an actual war movie. Flags of Our Fathers, it though good, is more about like what happened after the right. flag raising. So great on its own, but not what I was aiming for. But yeah, Iwo Jima is a little bit a little bit more rough yeah. as far as the violence goes. <laughs> yeah. But um I know he can deliver and I mean obviously with, with Unforgiven, that tone when the drama is personal. That tone is perfect for this concept. Nice. So. I yeah, Eastwood. I definitely consider that as well. Nice for one of my versions. But for for my version, um, I wanted to kind of have a modern take on the tone of this film, where it's definitely an homage to the original, well, kind of modernizing it in its conversation. So my main focus was it being a conversation about class struggle and the difference between uh, and the difference between those that have to do what they have to do to get by and the police that are in charge of making sure people don't do wrong. And so it's more of a conversation about how you got to where you are, because the I'm really focusing on that diner scene as a real example of these are two characters that are basically the same character but in very different circumstances. And I wanted to have that tone with my, my remake. Yeah. But where they're 
surroundings, their circumstance, their upbringing changed their path. Right. And so there's going to be a lot of conversation that kind of bleeds into what we're dealing with in the country right now as far as, you know, opportunity and what side you lay on as far as, you know, doing what you can to get by and then getting so good at that that you get bigger and bigger where you're robbing banks and shit as opposed to literally just feeding your family right? versus the person that had a little bit more opportunity and became educated and then became the person that was hunting those people that are going to get by. Well, both these characters are kind of at the top of their particular games. Yes. And so it's natural for them to become adversaries. And But it, w- it was also very important for me to preserve that tone of respect between the two characters because that scene is so deeply poignant to Heat. Oh, yeah. Where he, it, even in that scene, there there isn't even a conversation about morality. It's never brought up about the fact that like you may kill people doing the thing you do because both people can have that conversation <laughs> in what they do. I I want to maybe glance on that a little bit more in that conversation about like, right. you understand as a thief, you know, innocent people can get hurt. Well, you're talking about them and then, understanding each other. And I think the things left unsaid are true right there. And there's a, there's a writer better than me that can figure out the nuance to kind of right. lead to the fact of that conversation of, you know, as a thief, like people, innocent people might die. And it's like you as a cop, innocent people die every day, that conversation. And you yep. can do it in a much more nuanced fashion than that. But I want to have that moment of it being Literally, the only difference between the two is uh, opportunity. <laughs> yep, as being the difference between uh, these two characters, and so um, I actually decided, as a reverence to the original intention of this film, to make it a series as opposed to a uh, a movie. Nice. So this is a series. So I have actually two showrunners. Um, or two people that have been involved in series. Uh, one is going to be the primary director and writing as well, and then a uh, the showrunner slash writer as well. First, uh, the main director of it and has some writing credit as well as Michelle McLaurin, uh, who you might know from uh, she did she met her co-runner of Breaking Bad on X Files, and then went on to do Breaking Bad. Uh, she directed games, Game of Thrones episodes and wrote Game of Thrones, Westworld, The Leftovers. Ooh. Has been heavily involved in a lot of the grittier, harder HBO series stuff. So that's where I'm looking at is a paid, hard R kind of element for a Heat series. Nice. With one of the co-runners of Breaking Bad, along with Nick Pizzalto, who was the writer and creator of True Detective. Oh, yeah, dude. And their powers combined, finding, because even though both of them are very much like gritty drama, there's a more dramatic element for True Detective, whereas Breaking Bad, there's like a fun element that comes into it yeah, as well. sure. And I think them combined together would find that right balance of it being a fun, action-y, like big moves in a scene kind of moment, but also those very quiet, like room to breathe moments where the characters are able to kind of like find their moment to diatribe. And I, I think the combination of the two would be a dream. I dig it. Yeah. No, uh, I really like that combination. So for your uh, casting for your Clint Eastwood 
All Western right. take on heat. Let's get down to it. All right. So, uh, as we said earlier, this movie has a ton of characters and a lot of character actors, and it's just not time conducive to have them all. So sure. I'm, I'm going to run through. Uh, it's mostly all just like the bad guys. Sure. And then like some of the other extra characters. But um, and with the Western, you're going to kind of understand the choices a little bit just by them being character actors a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, for one of the main characters, Neil McCauley, uh, who was Robert De Niro's De Niro. Yeah. You know, the the bank robber extraordinaire. Um, I went with Tom Hardy, actually. I debated about that so much because especially with Lawless, his ability to deliver so much without saying much. And that's what De Niro was doing in that scene. He was not a talker. Exactly. That is a great choice. Same thing with Bronson. Like, he can bring the intensity when he needs to, yep. but he can also be brooding. Yeah. Um, yeah. Perfect casting for that. Uh, let's move down to Chris' character, who was Val Kilmer originally. Val Kilmer. Like, his right-hand man, basically. Also kind of quiet. Not a big talker. He was. But um, a little unhinged, too. He was, yes, yes. I mean, he, of course, had like a a wife in the uh, in the series, sure, uh, or in this movie. Uh, I went with Shia LaBeouf. Shia, okay. I am in total love with Shia. LaBeouf. Look, he has been crushing it lately. Shia, I have made no bones about my feelings that Shia LaBeouf is a piece of shit, but. I do respect him as an actor. We just recently watched Peanut Butter Falcon, and he is... Oh, I, dude. I am not sure if he got a script or they just let him be Shia LaBeouf in that movie or not. There was but, a script, yeah. and uh, if that movie didn't make you cry a little bit, uh, you're not a human you're, being. You're a monster. You're, you're basically a monster. I will say that at some point, Shia shows up in my casting as well. So, But, you know, obviously he was also in Lawless and in Fury... Great roles. Oh my god, yeah. He's been he's been a- absolutely killing it um ever since he kind of got his shit together a little bit. Um he's been doing great. It's great so. that he as he got his shit together, he got more really shitty tattoos. Well, you know, I mean <laughs> that's what happens sometimes. Yeah. Um and then uh I did cast the Tom Sizemore character, uh Mike Sharita. And I went with uh John Hawks who is a character actor. He's amazing. Um, he was in Deadwood. Uh, he was in Winter's Bone as the father. Oh, okay. Okay. He is incredible. He is basically fantastic in everything he's in, and he can definitely play up. I mean, he has such a range. I just love him. Okay. And I just saw him being able to be kind of like macho dude. Yeah. And that, whatever. So... You know, that's kind of like the trio. I didn't cast the the driver that they hired later. Sure. I, I didn't either. I mm-hmm. It was such a minor role. I feel like it wasn't an important part of the plot progression, really. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, even, yeah. even though the original driver and the driver they got were both very good actors that oh, went yeah. on to go like leaps and bounds better than their roles in lead. No, no. Lead, this but... movie was a stepping stone. A lot yeah. Of um, I will go with Nate, who was like the like kind of their fixer that like set up was John the jobs with the worst, the the single handed worst combination of mustache and haircut that I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh yeah, he was rocking like 
a weird old man mullet with a like if the Bee Gees did porn kind of mustache <laughs> happening. I don't know what was happening with that look. It was pretty bad. Yeah. 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 Um, and so for this character, I went with actually with uh, Chris Christopher. Okay. Um, in the Western. Yeah. I can yeah, definitely especially see that. In a Western setting. He's been in all like the genre Westerns, you know, smaller movies, but also he was an amazing character in payback. If you remember he was like the main like like crime boss honcho sure in payback and he can he can hold that role so it was easy for that uh, and we're going to go down to Edie who was the love interest for Neil the uh, uh the bankrupt yes Neil De Niro's character De Niro's character uh originally portrayed by Amy Bre- Brennerman she was like the innocent of the entire movie she, she really was yeah because he was he didn't tell her what he was doing in his life and they just had a little coffee shop romance and super and then of course uh he had to walk but um well, i love that and just a quick aside on that i love that aspect of the movie because it kind of suggests something that was talked about in the diner scene that happened right before he meets edie about mm-hmm. Was it hot dogs and ball games or something like that? Or like, what is real life? Or barbecues and ball games, I think is what right. it was. And he's like, is that it? And then Pacino's like, yeah, that's it. And then he meets somebody that kind of is the embodiment of that life that he could have. And seeing this is like almost an end game. Once he gets this done, he might right. actually be able to have the barbecues and ball games. And she's the embodiment of that. And it's beautiful. But he also talks about in the film... Uh, about the fact that if he had to walk away, he would walk away in an instant. Yeah. And of course it's heartbreaking, but it happened. It does. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, I wanted to cast a vulnerable, well-rounded actress and I got to go with Jennifer Connelly. Jennifer. Well, of course you did because your hard on for Jennifer Connelly is known throughout the worlds. Uh, of well, this I podcast mean, yeah, network. she was my first uh, celebrity crush and, Hey, her range is just ridiculous. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, the kind of heavy shit that she can bring, but she can also play, portray a character that, you know, is an innocent and is duped. And the sadness that she can make happen in her eyes <laughs> is going to be so perfect. Okay. You know, in this Western world where there's no make, but she's, you know, she doesn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, groups. If you could just wax poetic about Jennifer Connelly for like another five, ten minutes, that'd be great. That's uh, who she married to. Fuck that guy. Uh, the dude that was Vision in. Uh, in <laughs> yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't deserve her. All right, I'm just saying it. All right, All right. hear hear this now, Jennifer Connelly. If ever you want, you want to leave your husband, there is a podcaster in Richmond <laughs> named Groots that is more than happy to uh, to make you feel better. Yeah, you know, in whatever way I can. There is a... Little known uh, fact, Jennifer Connelly, big fan of all the shows. So uh, that's... Actually, I'm going to skip down. Um, I want to talk about The Traitor. Uh, so I did cast uh, cast uh, Wayne Grow. Wayne Grow, I did as well, yeah. Because he served a particularly important part in the movie. He did. Um, and he was such an archetypal character as well. That yes. It was too much fun to cast him, to not cast him. Exactly. So I cast him uh, with Kim Coates 
from Sons of Anarchy. He played Tig. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. And he, oh, that's oh. a good. That's a good pick. I know. I'm he, mad about that. I I struggled with that a little bit. And I, that's a I really did good too. Pick. And then I was just like, "Who's a guy who can play sh- smarmy so well? Kind of a, you know, you he could be like a trait. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So uh, yeah, Kim Coates. He'll work great in a western. Uh, so that is pretty much all the bad guy. Well, I did cast uh, Roger Van Zant. Who was the the rich uh, sort of benefactor, the guy who uh, was behind like the first heist? Oh, that kind of fucked him the over. The actor that's been in everything. He was even in The Dark Knight as like the bank. Yeah, manager. exactly. Yeah, William Fickner. William Fickner. He's been in everything as the same character. In all exactly. The movies. So I, you know, I I I didn't spend too much time on this, but I, you know, I picked someone who could be. You know, a high class, high society, like rich motherfucker who could speak and do all that. Tom Hiddleston. I knew you were going to say Tom Hiddleston because you have such a fucking hard on for that dude. He's so good. Oh, God. So good. Yeah, talk about high rise for another fucking eight I minutes. know, right? Yeah. yeah but sorry. No, no, no. I get it, though. And honestly, that's not a bad casting. As much shit as I'm giving you, I could see him in that yeah. role being the smarmy, like self-important, like executive yeah. type character. Exactly. The yeah. guy who's going to die and you're going to feel okay about it because he's yeah. a douchebag. So, yeah, exactly. Um, and then what, what I loved about Fichtner's character, though, uh, it, with uh, or when Fichtner played him is that fact that you even when you knew that he had been working with uh, Wayne Grow, when he was like, Wayne Grow, why would I know where he is? There was a convincibility about him saying exactly. that. Yeah. I was like, wait, did he like work out with? Even though I had seen the scene earlier in the movie, he was so convincing at being a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, a CEO type and executive would have those powers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, of course, the other the other giant casting, and I saved it till last, uh, is, of course, Vincent Hanna, the Al Pacino character. Yeah, that's that was who a is, tough one for who me. Who is the other big one? And I wanted to find somebody that could play big against Tom Hardy. I went with Robert Downey. Downey is a master of his craft. Oh, yeah. An yeah. absolute master of acting. And I've seen him go big. I've seen him play it very tight to the chest. He's gone all over the place. Oh, and yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah, he can do drama. He can make you cry, but he can also go, like, to 11. Yeah. And that's exactly what you need from that character, and that's why I picked Fuck yeah. So... And uh, and I'm just picturing uh, Tom Hardy and Robert Downey Jr. sitting at that table in that scene and just how different their their approaches to acting are. Exactly. As far as like what their presence suggests. And that would be unbelievably dynamic. Oh, yeah. I think it would be an awesome scene. I'd watch it. Yeah. And uh, I think we both uh, discussed this earlier. Um, I did not cast all amazing side cop characters um, in, in the original Heat. Yeah. Because, I mean, they're all good. Yeah, we had, what, uh, Wes Studi, the Native American actor from The Last of the Mohicans. Sure. Ted Levine from uh, Sons of the Lambs. All good characters. 
That was the hard part. It was just a lot of characters. Such an ensemble film, too. Exactly. That it's really hard to, with our limited number of castings that we do because of time, to get everybody in there. So I feel confident that uh, Clint Eastwood would uh, cast it. Fair enough. I'll just say. All right. All right. So for my real take version of this, again, we're doing a series here, and I've got uh, Michelle McLaurin from uh, Breaking Bad primarily, but also has worked on Game of Thrones, Westworld, Leftovers. I also have Nick Pizzolto from True Detective as the main writer that works with her with writing as well. Fucking love it. So there's a nice mix of like heavy drama and more like, not lighthearted, that's not the right word, more uh, playful yeah. writing style, I guess, uh, with Breaking Bad. Yeah, yeah, I get it. And so I, I really wanted to kind of approach this with uh, the conversation about like class struggle. Uh, th- that was the main approach. So for, uh, for Neil McCauley, the main thief, I decided to go with an actor that has knocked it out of the park pretty much any time he's been on screen. He's done genre stuff. He's done heavy drama. And also he was in season three of True Detective. I'm talking about Mahershala Ali. Yes. He is incredible. Oh, yeah, dude. He, he's a dynamic actor that just in the past year got casted as the new blade in the Marvel movies. He's going places. Oh, definitely. And for good reason. He's, he's incredibly talented as an actor. Yes. He, is. he understood. He, he understands the the nuances of character acting, you know, the, the big moments and the small moments. And I think with somebody like uh, Neil McCauley, who's a quieter character, you need an actor that's going to be able to say a lot without saying a lot. I completely agree with you on this. Good call. Yeah. So, uh, and then that, that kind of, and yes, the, uh, the main detective is a white guy. So then you now understand a little bit deeper, my kind of like conversation that's happening in this version of heat, where it's more about like experience and privilege and like position and where you come from. And there's this conversation that happens in heat. And I didn't want to bring this up until I, started my cast list okay about and it's early on it's not between uh the detective and uh the criminal but about where you live and it's when the criminal's talking about oh i live up here where he's like living high on the hog in the good part of town and i want that to be kind of the conversation where the head detective guys live in like a uh or no the the head criminals living in a high place um that doesn't seem to make sense for him Right. And then there being like a weird, like you're out of your element kind of attitude from the detective. That makes sense. Yeah. And uh, so then we go into uh, his right hand man, which is uh, Chris uh, Shareless, I think is the last name of the character. Yeah. Val Kilmer's character. Yeah. I just said sh- Chris. Chris is. And I was like, yeah. Uh, yeah, fuck it. Yeah. Shishareless. I wanted to have a character that could say a lot without saying a lot as well, because Val Kilmer, as dynamic as he was as an actor at the time, maybe not as much recently, but yeah, uh, he has had some struggles in his acting career. He has. He but, also kind of like had some physical ailments. Sure. And has agreed. also kind of lost his uh, damn mind a little bit. His mind and his yeah. voice and these things. But at the time that we're talking mid nineties, this was like height kill. Absolutely. And he was able to do a lot with that role where he didn't even have a lot of scenes in that. And he still killed really hard. 
and I wanted an actor that could really be a presence without having to say a lot or having a lot of scenes. And I went with the Mandalorian himself, uh, Pedro Pascal, okay. as, uh, as, as Chris in this role. Uh, Mandalorian and also Game of Thrones, where he's a lot more talkative in Game of Thrones. Gotcha. He's, he's the one that gets murdered by the mountain in, <laughs> in, uh, in uh, the scene. And it was like, you, you killed her, you raped her. You're... And then he gets his eyes fucking like shoved in by Woof. thumbs. Yeah. It's, nice. it's a lot. But Pedro Pascal is a fantastic actor. He understands the negative space of a scene where you don't have to fill it with words. You can just let it breathe a little bit. Well, and... I, I, I got to give him incredible props. Because he performs an entire series behind a mask. Yep. And his dialogue is all you get. But he still seems to manage um, drama, nuance, and little mannerisms and stuff Mm -hmm. uh, with the way that he physically acts that still delivers the Mandalorian as like a human character. You know, and that actually brings up something with his character that I wanted to kind of like flesh out a little bit more in the series, because it's one of my favorite prop choices in Heat that he has a like wraparound hockey mask and they're in their first burgle. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that is like terrifying. It's this big, big white wraparound hockey mask thing. It's like a bigger than Jason mask. Yeah. And it's iconic in this movie. And I want him to have a weird kind of, it's a series, so I want him to have kind of a weird dynamic about the usage of that mask, much like uh, Walter White had with his hat, as far as like how it changes his attitudes when he's wearing it kind of thing. All right. And for Pedro Pascal, who is one that is very familiar with acting with a mask on, I think it would work pretty well. Exactly. So, And then we go on to... uh, Michael uh Sherido Sh- Sh- Sherido Sherido Yeah. I decided to go now I it's not the same approach as Tom Sizemore at all but I wanted a like kind of like shit talky kind of knows what he's doing but is definitely the like slightly comic relief like shitty guy that doesn't really get along with everybody great, but he is funny, even though people don't want to admit that he's funny kind of character. Sure. So I cast it Bob Odenkirk. As, as, oh, my God. Jared <laughs> Now, I, I will admit that I and I'm blanking on the name right now, but I've seen him in a couple roles where he has played kind of the straight dramatic side. Yeah. He can do it. No, he's able and, to. And there, there's a there's a lot of like very gifted comics that can do that. Sort of thing. Well, that's the classic trope of that if you can do comedy, you can do anything. And that's why you got like Danny McBride doing the Halloween movies, and you've got, yeah. you know, Robin Williams that acted in dramatic roles and knocked it out of the park, you know. Oh it, my God. It, Unbelievably. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I can see that 100%. Yeah. So then we go into Nate, the big dog, the guy that's kind of running the show a little bit. And because we got Michelle McLaurin from Breaking Bad. I didn't want to do a full thing where he was a main character, but as a, as a guy in charge, it would be kind of fun to see Brian Cranston in that role as the big dog. 
No, that absolutely makes sense. Yeah. Because he can definitely go all places, including way big. Way big. But Pacino I big. I don't even necessarily need him to. Yeah, because he could have done Pacino. He very much could have. But I kind of want to see what he would do with the uh, with the Nate role, because it is a minimal role. Like, like Void is not doing a goddamn thing in that role. Oh, yeah. He's letting the mullet and the mustache talk for him the entire time. And I think Cranston would find a little bit more depth to that character in those minor moments and really be able to play with it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you're right. This would be a more subdued role where he's just cool and he's like, I got I got the situation down. I got the plan. You guys just need to execute. You can do that. And I, this is a lot of... This is formed primarily because I'm... Just finished season four, Breaking Bad, for the first time, and I'm into <laughs> season five, so I'm like in the depths of it. And I've seen the "I'm the one who knocks" moment, and I really think that there's so much that Cranston can do. I want to cast him in everything ever from now on. He's and pretty awesome. Yeah, it's pretty great, and I think he'd have a lot of fun with Nate. And he's so busy now as an actor that he would have to come on like two or three days tops to get his cat to get his roles done. Yeah, for that, so exactly. he could pop in. And then we got Justine, uh, Hannah, which is uh, the detective's wife. Uh, actually, I should go to the de- detective to inform that properly. The detective, which was uh, Pacino in the original, I decided to go with a uh, actor that I did not like for the longest time, and then he proved himself to me, uh, much like DiCaprio did, uh, where he did Blood Diamond and Departed within a year of each other, and I went, okay, you know what? I'm taking you seriously now. You, you blew me away. Yeah, Gangs in New York. All, all Gangs those. in New York. Uh, I had the same kind of approach to this actor from like the Lincoln Lawyer and on. Matthew McConaughey. Oh, yes. In Pacino's role, I I think would be very interesting to see what he would do with that role because he can go buck wild big if he needs to. Yes, he can. But also if you've seen True Detective, he can go very subtle. He can go nuanced if need be. Yes, he, yeah. And he does both in that show where the later drunk mustachioed version of him versus the cool and collected detective version. He does both in that role. Absolutely. And yep. I think he would be so fun to watch him in, in that role. Just And I just really want to see Matthew McConaughey talking about like, I like a girl with a big ass. <laughs> <laughs> God, he would, he would even be good in like a, a sequel where it's just his story afterwards, you know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, that solid choice. And then the the wife of uh, Matthew McConaughey and this, Justine, I wanted a headstrong woman that kind of is doing her own thing because that is exactly the character in the original film as well, where she literally starts dating a dude knowing that he's going to show up to have a reason for him to break up with her because she's sick of his bullshit. And so you need somebody that's able to play games and do the dumb shit. I went with uh, Lena Hetty from Game of Thrones, oh, yeah. the queen, also from uh, Sarah Chronic- Chronicles and Dread and a number of other things. But Yeah, yeah, no, she's she's outstanding. Um, and so I think she would be able to play off of McConaughey's like bigger-than-life character pretty well. And then, uh, then we've got Edie, which is the innocent, right? Uh, the the new relationship that Neil is having. And I went with uh, 
Regina King for that. Uh, she was the main character in the new Watchmen series. She was in uh, Jerry Maguire as Cuba Gooding Jr.'s wife. Uh, she was in The Leftovers. She was a character in The Leftovers. Oh, yes, yes. She's incredible. She actually won uh, an Emmy for The Watchmen recently, like I think last Sunday. Nice. For her portrayal, because she's an incredible actress. And there's so much nuance to that. And I want to play her in this version as like a working mother that's like not necessarily an innocent, but one that has not let the negative aspects of the world, like she's experienced those, but hasn't let that drag her down. So to carry that to the the villain you know, in this in this story, uh, Mahershala, where he bought into it and became it. She is the one that succeeded in spite of it. And right. that's their dynamic. She survived and he is attracted. Because of it. Yeah, exactly. I love it. Yeah, that she ends up becoming kind of to him a stronger person than he is because she didn't get like subdued by it. No, I, that's a awesome choice man. yeah it's fascinating so yeah I, I think that'd be an interesting take so that's our uh our fun takes or our serious takes on serious it. takes yeah our fun takes are on the way here and uh i'm because you went western you you already changed it the uh, direction a little bit <laughs> what are you doing for your fun take so i am doing a mashup reboot miniseries uh that is connected to the firefly serenity what? Yes, indeed. Okay. Are you thinking train job? Like I'm thinking, well, what I'm thinking is that this crew isn't small potatoes like a train job. They're doing the big shit that's getting the Alliance all fucking worked up because they're robbing the big ass banks. Okay. Okay. There might even be an operative coming out after them because they're like notorious. But um, yeah, I, I wanted to set it... um in a grittier version of the, that universe. And, you know, it's, it's I guess, sci-fi Western. I'm repeating it. But it's <laughs> sci-fi Western. And way more laser guns. Way more laser guns. But it, I think it would be a super fun take on this sort of, like, story mm -hmm. and overall. So uh, for a director, uh, I went with... Uh, S. Craig Zoller, who uh, was behind uh, Bone Tomahawk and I Brawl in Cell Block 99. I look, I still haven't seen Cell Block 99 oh, uh, with, with Vince Vaughn, I think, right? Oh, my God. Amazing. He has the ability to go dark, but also have- A like, playfulness. A playful, yeah. yeah. A, a sort of like a nice character like interaction going on. Um, I obviously he would be directing. There would probably still it being a mini series or a TV show. Number of different directors. There yeah. would be other writers and stuff like that. It it's still He'd be like the showrunner. Exactly. Unquote. Yeah. Showrunner. It's still a Joss Whedon property. Okay. So you're gonna get some of that interaction. That's definitely um imbued in my choices. Okay. With. Uh, so he's to... like he's bumping elbows with Tim Maneer and Joss Whedon. Like, oh yeah, this yeah, together. definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Uh, you would want me to just run through the cast? Yep, yep, let's right, do it. let's do it. All right, so for uh, the main character, Macaulay, uh, gender switch, I went with Charlize Theron. Okay. Okay. If she needs a first name, her name can be Nell. <laughs> <laughs> but nice. Macaulay is probably just fine for that universe. Um, 
she's a badass. We all know it. She would basically be the more successful, like in this particular crew, instead of, you know, when we think of Firefly Serenity, we're thinking of Mal and the whole, you know, Serenity Mm -hmm. crew. So this is a more elite robber team. Seasoned. Seasoned. Uh, And not like seat of their pants team. Exactly. They're not fucking up. They're not, they're not doing a little train job. They're They're elite. They're doing a big, sure. A big job. Um, so she can pull that off. She can pull off the acting. She can pull off the intensity, the drama, whatever she needs to do. I would love a crossover that after the train job, they actually have to go into the sheriff station to get the uh, things that were (laughs) given to the sheriff. By the Firefly team. Right. <laughs> being like, we don't give a fuck. Like, we'll go into the sheriff's office and steal that shit. There you go. <laughs> and Nick kept being like, thank you. All right. Uh, so for Chris, also, gender switch, I went with Zoe Bell. Okay. Um, yep. You know, as the, like, quieter but super intense, very adept at combat, fighting, and violence, Zoe Bell's. I mean. She's a god. She's fantastic and also can do all her own stunts. So Exactly. Yeah. So we're going to have some great uh, sequences sure. in this uh, series. Um, then we got down to um, uh, Michael, uh, Tom Sizemore's character. I went with uh, Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper. Okay. Um, and the reason I picked him was because I felt like in a female-centric, again, this is like a Joss Whedon thing, female-centric uh, party, he would play up that, like, kind of antagonized male perfectly, like, hangover style. Kind of a dick, but also, like, respects, you know, at the same time. Yeah, that he's not problematic so much. No, he's that, not He's not yeah. problematic, but, uh, you know, that, that kind, of, kind of, like... I think there are degrees of that that he had as his character in Alias, yeah, there you go. <laughs> and he was like second fiddle to a strong woman like that entire time. They, but he was perfect. still trying to prove himself as a man the whole time. So Exactly. And I, I think that would be a great like comedic edge to that whole dynamic. Um, for the fixer, uh, Nate, uh, I went with Anthony Head. Anthony Stewart. Anthony Stewart Head, yeah. I mean, obviously. I mean, he's, he's legacy fucking Buffy and Repo the Genetic Opera. And, and he, has a... Uh, not so much in the states, but has actually a music career in the UK as well. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He's got CDs out there. You can get him. Might even be Von Vinyl now. Who knows? Who knows? But uh, no, he he would play that perfectly as like the guy who's like arranging shit. Yeah. Like here's the job. This is what needs to happen. And of course, he's Joss Whedon's old legacy. Yeah, of course. So, so that would be him. Um, let's see here. For the traitor, uh, Wayne Grow, I went with Adam Bush, who played Warren in Buffy. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. And talk about Smarmy. Smarmy is correct. And also, I mean, he fucking killed Tara. And like. I will never forgive that actor for the thing he did. Oh, my God. I know. That and Jason. Jason Sudeikis for punching Baby Yoda. Like those are the two characters that. Well, at least you didn't see his face doing that. (laughs) Right. But no, I mean he definitely committed the harshest crime in that entire series. Oh yeah, it was so dark and so hardcore, and created Evil Willow, basically from that. Sure. 
but perfect for him because he you can totally see him being the guy that the fucking like betrays yeah exactly yeah all right so for the um for the well-to-do uh you know rich you know benefactor that is not benefactor the guy who's setting up these jobs to to, to make this happen van zant i went with uh actually justin thoreau not a bad choice because i have been really enjoying him in the leftovers and he was a pompous director asshole in Mulholland Drive. Sure. Years back. I love him. Yeah, he is crushing it right now. Just over the moon. So. I dig it. No, that that totally makes sense. I'm good with that. All right. So the, the, those are all the uh, the baddies. And then we'll get into uh, the love interest, Edie, mm-hmm. uh, who I did not rename. But uh, for Charlize Theron's Macaulay character, I actually went with Lakeith Stanfield uh, from Sorry to Bother You oh, and yeah. Knives Out. I've, I've been trying not to cast him in every single episode of this show. Right. And I've still cast him pretty regularly because he's an incredible actor. He is. And there's a presence that he has that is, like, very specific. It, it, he's got his own kind of tone. He does. And he 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 can play subdued and kind of in a sense, meek, like in the beginning of Sorry to Bother You, he was yep. kind of like the meeker one. So I can see him as the love interest that is enamored by this powerful woman and doesn't really understand what all is happening sure. with with her and ultimately a tragic character, you know, because sure. gonna get left, gonna, gonna realize yeah. like the nature of things. And I think that would be a wonderful dramatic. Okay. Um, and then, all right, here we go for Vincent Hanna. Vincent Hanna, Lieutenant Vincent Hanna. Who could be like a higher up official in the Alliance, you know, like, sure, you know, military or even an operative based on how prolific their crime sprees are. Sure. I actually went with another, sorry to bother you, character, uh, Army Hammer. Okay. Who is... um. I recently saw him in this uh, sort of indie film called Wounds, which was outstanding. And of course, he was also in. Um, sorry to bother you. Sorry to bother you, which, but which I recently uh, saw. Call me by your name. Call me, or, or I'm sorry, not sorry to bother you. Uh, call me by your name. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And he's a very well-rounded actor, but he's also a physically imposing person because he's like six foot something. He's a giant man. Yeah, he he could have been Captain America, easily, <laughs> yeah, right. you know. But he actually his acting chops have really come to the forefront over the last several years, and I could see him being that adversary to Charlize Theron. Like they could really compete with each other because uh, he he was also in Free Fire, and he was hilarious. In Free Fire. Nice. It was so much fun in that movie, and a lot of personality. Can go big, so that's the cast. Hell yeah! Now I I did forget to uh, cast my Wingro for the uh, or my real version oh, of it, uh, because that was an aside. That was my eighth casting, uh, but for that I wanted somebody that came off as like a fuck boy that would fuck over people, <laughs> and that's where I put Shia LaBeouf and oh, uh, as, oh, as the guy that was just like a sad little weirdo that ended up like going against his people and then had a weird relationship with women where he just like murdered a bunch of prostitutes in the 
like random serial killer sideline that happens in fucking heat that doesn't get approached very much. Hey, he's got range, bro. Yeah. So I let, love him. Let, let him keep all his tattoos and have him as this weird guy that like fucks everybody else over. Uh, now onto my uh, fun version, which I, this is not wackadoo like I do sometimes where it's definitely not doable. Mm-hmm. I actually did a period thing as well. I did kind of approaching your real version that I was looking at Western, but I looked at it specifically as the tail end of the old West. And I mean like right before world war one, okay. like the, the era where industrialization has fully taken hold. Sure. Uh, the last of the gunslingers are around. It's kind of that same tone that like pirates of the Caribbean has where like pirates are like going by the wayside. There's no room left for pirates anymore. And it's the last bastions that are kind of existing that kind of tone, but with yeah. gunslingers where the old West is dead and it's an old gunslinger. That's like trying to get their last big get before retiring. Nice is the approach. And I thought, uh, because one of my most favorite recent West or recent, uh, this was like 15, 20 years ago. Uh, but it was a remake, uh, three ten to Yuma. And then also that director being able to incorporate the kind of Western tone with a genre film in Logan. I went with James Mangold nice. as my director for my, my remix version, which nice. is unfortunate because he's, he's due a lot more than a remix version of this. He could do a real deft modern right. take on it and he'd be able to kill it. Well, he did walk the line too, didn't he? Yeah, he did walk the line. That's actually yeah. a, was one of the things that really launched him into yeah. a known director. Uh, Ford V. Ferrari, he did as well. And he is currently attached to a future Indiana Jones movie as a director. So Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> we need some new blood there. Keep George Lucas away. You know shit. Yeah. So James Mangold in a circa like 1905 like there's word of war in Europe, but like United States doesn't go to war in Europe until like 1915 or something like two years yeah, before yeah. the war ends. So there's not like a lot of hoarding of materials. There's, but like things are changing. The world is changing. Um, the, the old gunslingers are still, there's still some elements of old West, but it's not the same as it used to be. There's, there's a, uh, you know, phone lines going everywhere. There's like some places have electricity. Like it's a, trains are running yeah Yeah, yeah. it's it's a whole different dynamic and it's that weird element that it's weird that bank heist movies happen either old west where there's nothing there's people shitting out houses and there's no electricity and there's nothing happening or the 1920s and 30s with the the uh the depression after world war one right i want somewhere in between and that's where i'm aiming for perfect that that weird balance of like coming out of like that old West kind of tone into modern day. And uh, so for Neil McCauley, I decided to go with Kevin Costner. Oh, um, because the lesser he talks, the better in his roles. (laughs) (laughs) I think he'd be fine. He's a presence and he'd be able to kind of fill a room with his tone. Right. But uh, he's not the best actor in the world, but he's done a Western or two in his time. So he has, and he can go big if he needs to, like 3000 miles of Graceland. Then for Chris, I went with uh, Viggo Mortensen, 
who oh, yeah. talk about filling a room, and he doesn't need to say a goddamn word to be able to get his point across with the roles that he's done. Oh, yeah, and he is capable of such sweet violence. Absolutely, and he's done so much in Westerns already. He's done Appaloosa. He's done Hidalgo. He's done Young Guns 2. He was in. Holy shit, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. He was in Young Guns 2. He was in Young oh, Guns 2. So. I have to rewatch it. I haven't seen that in like so, 20 years. He's wo- he's worn a weathered hat once or twice before. Then we've got uh, Michael, the uh, the Tom Sizemore right. character in this. And I decided to go, because we're talking like the ends of the Old West and these are the outlaws, so I wanted to kind of incorporate the uh, characters that might be of nationalities that are normally like disregarded by society and become kind of like equal equal uh, partners with the outlaws so that that race doesn't have right. anything to do with it. It's your skill set that makes you right valued. And I thought it would be really fun to see uh, Michael uh, Sherito or whatever Tom Sizemore's character played by Benedict Wong who's best known for his role in Doctor Strange as Wong, as like his yeah, side yeah, character. Yeah, sure. Um, he, he could throw one liner out like a motherfucker. Uh, he, he's a classically trained actor. He could do a lot more than he gets the benefit to do in a lot of the roles that he gets. Sure. And I thought it would be really interesting to see him as the guy that kind of totally knows what he's doing and is just waiting for everybody to catch up, you know, <laughs> kind of tone. I'm uh, Yeah, I'm picturing this. I like it. And then we've got, uh, moving on to Nate, the uh, the big dog, the guy that's kind of pulling the strings behind the heist. Right. Yeah, the fixer. The fixer. And no better than a actor who I was surprised going through his cast list had virtually no Western experience, but he was in a lot of Western-adjacent movies um, from back in the day, including an early... James Mangold film by the name of Copland, which is been described as a urban Western. I love that movie. It's I my love favorite I, Sta- I, Stallone movie. I fucking love that movie. Uh, Harvey Keitel as, uh, as Nate, I'm he in. would be able to m- murder that role. No oh, problem. Absolutely. Uh, like, but I was actually really surprised that, you know, you know, from Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, Bad Lieutenant, he's done a million movies and very few Westerns. Like I, I, I don't think any, actual western i think he's western gotten he, adjacent he's gotten typecast in so many like like monster or and mob yep, movies yep. yeah but he would kill it in a western yeah and absolutely. he's never been really cast in a true western film so i i want to i want to do well, that good on you yeah then we've got uh justine hannah uh the uh lieutenant's uh, wife, which at that point I need to inform you who the lieutenant is. Um, and at this point, it's going to be a Pinkerton detective because of the era. Right. And uh, I thought it would be really fun because the uh, villain is Kevin Costner to cast Kurt Russell as the Pinkerton detective. So you've got <laughs> both Wyatt Earps from the 90s <laughs> fighting each other. All right. That's super fun. <laughs> that's, that's super I fun. I couldn't not. I had to. I fucking had to. Both Wyatt Earps on screen dueling. Yeah. Earp on Earp action. Earp happening. on Earp action. Yeah. Into it. There you go. So Kurt Russell, and I don't need to wax more poetic. Just listen to the Kurt Russell episode of the of Geeks Under the Influence if you want to hear wax poetic about uh, Kurt Russell. And then we've got the wife, Justine Hanna. I wanted uh, an actress that had experience in the West, 
uh, but also a strong character, a strong character in her own right. And I went with Sharon Stone from The Quick and the Dead. Sure. <laughs> to, and uh, age appropriate for... And for also yeah. age appropriate as well, yeah. Yeah, okay. I dig uh, it. Now, the uh, age inappropriate here, and not by that much, but enough that it was kind of informing to the Western stylistics of an older gentleman marrying a younger woman, although not problematically younger because we're still dealing with like Hollywood film here a little bit. We've got Neil McCauley is played by Kevin Costner, who's in his 50s now, I think. Uh, Yes, 60s. 60s, okay. So th- much younger, but still definitely legal. <laughs> like, I think she's in her early 30s now. Um, Moon Bloodgood. Oh, my God. Uh, if okay. you're unfamiliar, it's a Native American actress, so you have this whole, like, outlaw aesthetic of being, like, and that's the whole tone of Neil McCauley's character in the Western of being, like, once we get done with this, I can kind of disappear into what's left of the West and not have to be part of the society I don't understand anymore. And, I can love who I want to love. Yeah, and, and th- that kind of feelings of being judged by falling in love with a Native American woman, and so there's that, like, kind of... Okay conversation there which was the conversation of kevin costner and dances with wolves but we're giving it to another actor here and uh she she was in terminator salvation she was in pathfinder she's a actress that's still working regularly mostly on television with like the crime shows and stuff mcis and stuff but yeah she's still a very valued actress just hasn't done a lot of uh films in in the last few years or so but I, i think it would be interesting to see her dynamic with uh, Kevin Costner as a love interest, as this Native American woman that isn't innocent in the same way so much as not being interested in being part of the modern society. And that's kind of the draw that uh, Neil gets from her. So, All right. So that's my takes. Now we're at the point where we're going to talk about a couple mashup choices here. Okay, yeah. Let's see what people said. Well, I, I... sent out a message to our listeners pretty late and uh, I, I didn't get a lot of feedback, but I do have a couple choices myself that I, I'm interested in. Uh, and both of them are where it's another crew right? that ends up by hijinks trying to rob the bank at the same time. Oh, shit. And the first one is Point Break. <laughs> Imagine that if the point break break presidents show up at the same time as uh as these guys in heat to rob the same bank and they're like all in the president's house and they run in and they're making big game of it and everything and these true professionals that have like the timing everything down they're they've got it down to a fucking science being like what the fuck dude <laughs> you're ruining this for the rest of us you really need to watch free fire because that would be a perfect scenario for that situation of the two crews facing off together with a bunch of freaking bank patrons like diving for cover so awesome you could even have free fire as a mashup for this i think oh yeah dude yeah that movie is so underrated it's such a good time and for listeners i believe that it's still available for prime users on uh, amazon yes yes it is ben wheatley directed outstanding check it out uh, the other one that I was, and you will appreciate this because I think you and I are the only people that I know that enjoy this Coen Brothers film. God. Uh, the Lady Killers. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> as far as, as they're breaking into the bank to like 
there's that scene that Val Kilmer like takes the the money and cuts it open so he can get it to fit right in the bag. Right. And just at that point, the tunnel breaks open from Tom Hanks and crew trying to break into the vault. And a weird cadre of characters <laughs> yeah. come through. There's a weird dude in the sa- safari shorts, and uh, there's a gangbanger and a freaking and a mustachioed man uh, mustachioed. that looks like he's doing Colonel Sanders cosplay. Yeah, exactly, and... spouting poetry by Poe. <laughs> like, Hands off with our money, sir, and just that weird, like Cohen Brothers meets Michael Mann <laughs> kind of like tonal change in the moment would be fucking incredible. I don't need. I need it to be exactly heat. But that one cadre added to it. We're that just... is a beautiful funnier die <laughs> clip. I, I I just we need to see that. Oh, I would love it. And you know, Tom Hanks is enough of a uh, sport that he might be interested in reprising oh, his yeah. role for Brilliant no, Lady absolutely, Killers. man. And it would literally just be us two that would get the reference and enjoy it because apparently no one liked that film. That would be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So again, if you haven't seen Lady Killers, you may not like it. A lot of people didn't. I thoroughly enjoyed that film. I love that movie. Yeah. Straight up. It's so much fun. If you're not having fun watching that movie, there's something wrong. It's not supposed to be poignant. That's more of a fun caper film where everybody, like there's so many moments that every character gets to be that character for a minute. It's a farce. It's a true farce. It's such a, a silly ass movie. It's not Fargo. It's not. It's the closest thing to a cartoon the Coen brothers are ever going to do. And yes, how much fun did they all have making it? Sure. If you can see how much fun they're making that they're having making the movie, just fucking enjoy it. Exactly. Speaking of enjoying it, we're at the tail end now where we're going to oh, yeah. do our trailers here. So let me cue up the music. A new show from Joss Whedon, Firefly Serenity Universe. We are talking about a new crew, much more professional than Mal and his miscreants, going up against the banks and robbing the Alliance. We have Charlize Theron, Zoe Bell, and Bradley Cooper doing all the deeds the nefarious thieving deeds <laughs> against them Army Hammer plays the uh, operative going after their thieving asses <laughs> check out the new installment in the Firefly Serenity Universe coming this summer in a new miniseries Awesome. Yeah, that was lame as fuck. That was not <laughs> the right music for that at all. No, but it was terrible. I, but there was nothing else close. And you know what? I have been looking into uh, getting a whole new palette of music. Like, I think we're so beyond overdue for a whole new list of Yeah, you need a little folk guitar, like the, like the opening of True Detective yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need something to uh, really, like, help like re-embolden my regular panelists to uh, yeah because that was way more chipper than shit. something the dude who did bone tomahawk would have <laughs> right? fucking directed but hey it's all good all right so i'm going into my version uh yours was the firefly universe one i'm doing the <laughs> yeah. uh the tv series version of mine so uh 
So here we go. A new vision based on the Michael Mann 1990s classic bank robber heist film, Heat. Comes a insightful conversation about uh, class war and what it takes to survive. Lieutenant Vincent Hanna, played by Matthew McConaughey, is a man on the street willing to do what it takes to take down the bad guy. Neil McCauley, played by Mahershala Ali, is a man that does what he needs to in order to get things done. This fall on HBO, join Pedro Pascal as the man that knows how to do all the Robbie things. <laughs> and Mike, uh, Michael Cherito, played by Bob Odenkirk, as the guy that knows how to belittle everyone that's doing the things that need to be done. <laughs> this fall, join Brian Cranston as Nate, the guy behind the curtain. And Justine Hanna, played by Lena Headley, as a headstrong woman that don't deal with no gruff. This fall, Regina King, Emmy Award-winning Regina King as Edie, a woman that's just trying to find love and finds it in all the wrong places. On HBO this fall, we're turning up the heat. I think okay. I've done this before where I didn't even fucking say the title in, in my trailer. No, you know, like half the time we do this, people don't bring up the title, so it's fine. Hey, you know, hey. All right, so that's it for this episode of Geeks on the Influence. Uh, doing proper work to ruin an absolute classic. That's it for this episode of Smack My Pitch Up. Oh, I'm sorry. Jesus. <laughs> I, have too many, I have too many shows, man. Yeah, That's what do. it comes down to. You do. Yeah. But that's funny. Yeah, that is funny. <laughs> Smack my bitch up. I, I don't even know what day it is anymore. Uh, quarantine continues, and <laughs> like every, all the days blur together, all the shows blur together. Yes, so. 2020 has eliminated most of our brains. Yes, absolutely. So uh, thank you for using what is left of your brain to listen to this episode of Smack My Pitch Up, and uh, we will find you next week for another episode. Thank you so much to my friend Groot, uh, the showrunner on beautiful disasters that I got, one i got yeah. that right yes you I got did. that right yeah i hope you all had a chuckle yes uh definitely find beautiful disasters on gypodcast.com or anywhere you get your podcast they're doing great in pakistan right now weirdly and sri lanka <laughs> sri lanka apparently is killing it killing it super hard uh and definitely rate review them and us on uh apple Podcasts or wherever you get your show rate review subscribe Share with your friends. Join us on social media. All the links to our social media stuff is at gypodcast.com. And we'll find you next time for another episode of Smack My Pitch Up. I'm Mike the Hobbit, and you just got pitch smacked. Gui podcast.com. <laughs>